0: Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Fortress of Ineptitude, our little show with a show here on the Pony Express where we discuss the forgotten and maligned comic book movies of years past. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Post Editor-in-Chief Mike Levito, and I'm joined by Post Contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey Mike, thanks for having me back. Glad to be here. Of course. Um so we just got done talking about two kind of like i would say firearm heavy movies with red and red 2 in our last episode but uh we're gonna be talking about another one now lewis what movie will we be discussing in this episode um
1: well today we're going to take a look at one of everyone's favorite comic book characters we're going to look at 2004's thomas jane led the punisher one of several Punisher movies, which is why I qualified it so much. That we're going to be looking at the 2004 one today.
0: Yeah, it is the uh, the third feature length Punisher movie, and the second to be called the Punisher. Um. And yeah, what we're going to be watching this this movie that I feel like really, um, it definitely we you know we say like kind of forgotten and maligned this is definitely a forgotten movie like this is a movie i don't think unless you're really into the punisher anybody really thinks about very often anymore
1: do you remember when this movie came out i do um i remember seeing the poster for it and the um in the cinema back when that used to be a thing
0: (laughs) yeah i remember seeing ads on tv and they there's a shot of him using the bow and arrow which he uses in the climax of the movie and me thinking, like, huh, it's weird that he's using a bow and arrow. I didn't know he used bows and arrows. And also, like, I remember thinking, like, you know, this seems like a movie that, even though it's technically a comic book movie, I, I'm probably not allowed to watch. Um, and so this is, like, uh, this is the first time I saw it. You're when, not
1: allowed to watch back back in the day.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, when I was in fourth grade when this came out. You didn't,
1: you didn't ask your parents for permission to watch this movie. This
0: no, year, did you? no, I kind I kind of figured that a movie about a uh, depressed um, FBI agent who 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 dedicates his life to to murdering mobsters would be a non Um it, it still took it took my grandfather's cosign to get me to see the 2002 Spider Man. So um, I thought this this I, I kind of knew this would be kind of a tough sell um yeah
1: you definitely need your parents permission to see this this might be the hardest <laughs> hardest r-rated movie i've ever seen i was like oh my god how ca- how are they even getting away with this it's like unbelievably hardcore
0: rated r film it is um for- forget david cronenberg you know forget uh quentin tarantino you want to see some real gore some real blood and guts some real freaky stuff this- this makes crimes of the future look like <laughs> going in style. It really does. Just um, the hardest, grittiest uh, comic book movie ever made. Um, no, but
1: but I guess before we get into the movie, should we should talk about the character of the Punisher, right?
0: Yes, yes, we definitely should. Um, do we you got
1: to d- make up for last week when uh, neither yeah. of us knew anything about the comic book read
0: no we didn't uh do do you do you have feelings strong feelings about the punisher are are, are you are you read up on him like what's what's your relationship like
1: okay so you you know me pretty well so Mm -hmm. you i think if you if you would know asking me like lewis are you a fan of the punisher you would probably think i would say i am not a fan yeah but i I actually do enjoy the punisher quite a bit Mm. but here's my hot take yes um i like the punisher when he is not in the marvel universe
0: okay
1: i have not really read that much of the punisher like in like you know him hanging out with spider-man him fighting with galactus i have not read that (laughs) that sort of punisher the only the only thing that comes to mind is in um the 2015 secret wars Mm -hmm. when like the universe is being destroyed in issue number one and like all the villains are like partying in like the Kingpin's penthouse and then the punisher just comes in and starts (laughs) shooting everybody um and i know he's in civil war which i haven't really read
0: i i don't remember him being in civil war very much he
1: he's like uh he starts killing people and captain america starts beating him up Mm. and he's not gonna fight punisher won't fight back because it's captain america yeah, yes,
0: yes, that does sound more familiar. Um, yeah, I. so I, I admittedly have not read a lot of Punisher stuff. Most of the Punisher stuff that I have read has been, like, through the prism of Spider-Man or Daredevil or something like that. Um, and I, I kind of agree with you, though. He, he He. is an awkward fit to the Marvel universe, right? He is not really, like, a superhero, Um he is just kind of like a, a, a vigilante who wears a skull on his chest and, and goes around killing people. Um, and yeah, I, I'm fine with like the idea of the Punisher, but like when, it, when I always think of him in kind of like, you know, like a Marvel context, like I think of the, uh, the, the Punisher War Journal series that came out right after Civil War. And I remember, I believe at the beginning of that series, uh, he, he kills Stiltman and it's like a thing where he like kind of like blows up Stiltman's like legs with like a rocket launcher and then shoots him in the head. And that to me just kind of always encapsulated like the awkward fit that the Punisher has been in, in kind of the, that more traditional comic book environment where Stiltman's like this goofy villain and then you have the Punisher come in and just kind of like, you know, put, put one between the eyes. But I did enjoy actually quite a lot the, the Netflix Punisher series starring John Bernthal partly because John Bernthal is just, like, an incredible actor. I can watch him do anything. Um, although I never really did finish the second season. I, and I think, because I think that one kind of, like, portrayed him as, like, the the right amount of, like, unhinged, but there was also, like, room for some tenderness with actually him and, and Micro, of all people. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to enjoying this character, even though I, I've never really kind of, like, been, like, a true Blue fan, I would say um yeah most of what i read of the punisher has been uh
1: written by garth enos um who writes a lot of whose milieu is sort of writing the sort of dark gritty Mm -hmm. um quote unquote heroes that aren't afraid to like kill people um so he writes a lot of stuff he doesn't really write like the big mainstream characters like superman or batman he sticks with like the punisher or his Mm -hmm. own like created characters like the boys or hitman um so a lot of the Punisher stuff I've read is... Uh, I've read a lot of, like, his Marvel Knights, which mm-hmm. was, like, basically an initiative to, like... We're going to, like, create jumping-on points for certain characters that it's, like, they're kind of set outside of, like, Marvel. Like, they're in their own little universe. Like, the Punisher had one. Inhumans had one, which was really good. Um, Black Panther had one. So I have read, like, the first dozen, 20 issues of the Marvel Knights run. And then there was later... And Garth Ennis did, like, a very dark, serious take on, like, the Punisher as, like, this very much an anti-hero character, but it was also kind of, like, a black comedy. And then later on, he took that as far as he can go, and then they did Punisher Max, which which is a very mature take on the character, where he, he pretty much wrote him as, like, a full-blown sociopath, where, like, half the fun of reading it becomes that, like, the audience realizes, like, oh, the is kind of a bad guy, and, like, like the uh, like the people he's fighting have like a good point trying to like take him down. Right. You know what I mean? It becomes mm-hmm. like the end of Breaking Bad where it's like half the fun is like you want to see him get caught mm-hmm. or killed or whatever. So that's sort of the take. So I was interested to see um, sort of this reflected in the film. And the film, uh, we can talk about it later, kind of adapts the first arc of the Marvel Knights run, which mm-hmm. is called Welcome Back, Frank, uh, which I've read um so we can talk about that but um what were your expectations going into this mike um because i i had expectations going in. i don't know if you were
0: thinking too much about it before you watched it yeah i i don't know that i had a ton of them i think i was expecting it to be um a little more um this isn't gonna make a lot of sense but i was expecting to be a little bit more like kind of like Like, uh, Eminem and Mountain Dew, if that makes sense. I was was expecting it to be kind of more like, um... In a way, a little bit more like the Daredevil movie that we watched uh, earlier on. Um, but what I think actually happens is that we get this, this character, and he feels like, in a way, they're trying to fit him into kind of, like, the surrounding of what feels like a more traditional superhero movie in some ways, or at least that's how I interpreted it. Um and which, which was not what i was expecting i was expecting them to kind of try and make this as little of a comic book movie as possible and just turn it into more of a generic action hero thing but i think they did not do that i think they actually tried to make a more straight not straightforward but but they, they tried to kind of like blend you know they, they, they definitely were were uh, cognizant of him being a comic book character if that makes sense
1: yeah that that is almost exactly what I was thinking like going into it. Like I was expecting like a film like very much that it very much embodied like 2004. Mm-hmm. With like very gritty, like desaturated, like shaky cam sort of things, like blood, uh lots of, you know, gore kind of. I was expecting I was going to ask for your help sort of defining what the soundtrack would be like sort of like generic rock well that i felt like sort of
0: embodies the early 2000s like the daredevil soundtrack right yes um like kind of like the new metal post grunge thing which there is a punisher soundtrack and it does have a lot of songs like that but most of them are like not in the movie yeah um, the
1: film the film to me this is like this is like a lost film from 1994
0: yeah yeah um i would agree uh, the, really the one song you get is I'm Broken by Seether featuring Amy Lee, who Amy Lee was the lead singer of Evanescence, who are featured very prominently the Daredevil soundtrack. They do the, um, bring me to life, wake me up inside song. Um, that was like an actual hit, but I don't think it originated on the soundtrack. I think it was a single beforehand and they just tacked it on. Um, but yeah, th- there was something that like, you, like you said, very 1994 felt, I guess in a way like old fashioned about this movie um it it didn't it did not have the kind of like hyper modern or attempted hyper modern thing that like daredevil was going for which certainly
1: it helps in that the movie doesn't feel dated in that respect
0: yeah but i i I would argue it feels probably dated in other respects (laughs) um this when i was reading about this after i watched it it talks about how like it's uh its budget was smaller than like the average action Film budget at the time, and I actually feel like that kind of shows in certain scenes. Um, I don't know. Uh, there, there were aspects of this that one hundred percent worked for me, but I guess yeah, we're...
1: they they filmed in uh, Tampa yes. instead of the Punisher's <laughs> usual locale of New York City. Yes, for uh, tax reasons. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I remember because I think I was living near Tampa at the time mm. this movie was being made. I lived there two thousand three to two thousand four, so I think I remember hearing about that before it came out um but yeah you know um it it does definitely feel like a very uh cheap movie yes (laughs) compared to today's uh multi-million dollar superhero movies
0: or i would say even compared to like you know sam raimi's first spider-man movie which came out two years before this one um but uh I guess we can talk about... Should, should we start off the casting, do you think? Yeah, let's do the casting. Sure. So the lead is... The, the, the Punisher himself is Thomas Jane, um, who I believe he did, hadn't had like a lot of huge uh, roles at this point in his career. Like He had a very small role in Boogie Nights. He was in the movie Deep Blue Sea. Um, he had played Mickey Mantle in the TV uh, film 61. Um, I... I mean he's he's like born to play this role I would say. I think he looks the part um he's he, he absolutely looks the part um you know as as kind of like the pre-punisher Frank Castle he just kind of maybe a little generic but like I would say as you know you, you couldn't ask for a better punisher as far as visuals go and performance-wise I th- I think he does what he has to do.
1: Um so I I, the only thing I really knew Tom Jane from was when he guest starred on Arrested Development um, as himself, playing a homeless man. That's <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> Going deep uh, into character to understand, like, a homeless man. Then he gets roped in with the blues. And um, he's very funny in that. But that was really it. Obviously, he's not, like, he hasn't broken out to become, like, a big star. I think he's kind of similar in that sense to, like, Gabriel Mocked from The Spirit. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't. I mean, he was on Hung, which mm-hmm. was an HBO show, but he hasn't really like. I know people like Suits, right? That Gabriel Mock was yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he's not. He hasn't broken out to become a big star, so I was kind of trepidatious because, like you said, when the movie started, we were sort of introduced to a character who's like not the Punisher. Yeah. Because it's deliberately like Frank Castle before the tragedy that unfolds. So I was like kind of worried because he seems like really happy and nice. I'm like, oh, is he going to be able to pull this off? being Mm -hmm. the punisher but then uh yeah he did he did quite well it wasn't something where i was like this man is the definitive the punisher right like forever you know Mm -hmm. where it's like wow i don't want to see anyone else (laughs) (laughs) waging a war on crime but this man um yeah i I thought he, he was effective once once we actually got to the punisher stuff i was a little bit unsure in like the beginning portion of the movie but um he he won me over. He he nailed the part, I think.
0: Yeah, we're introduced to him when when he's undercover. He's an FBI agent and he's undercover oh, yeah. pretending to be a like I guess German arms dealer and he's blonde. So I didn't even pick up that that was Thomas Jane at first <laughs> cuz
1: I pun- I did, but I was like, "That is that Thomas Jane that can't be. <laughs> they're they're introducing the Punisher this way."
0: <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. And so yeah, that that really threw me off. And he's like, you know, he's he's a happy family man, right? Like he Seems like kind of you know not very troubled, um, but and so it is a little odd to to, to see. But then, as, as he gets kind of darker and darker, it, it makes more sense. Um, his his adversary in this movie is is Howard Saint, the mobster Howard Saint, owner of the uh, eponymous Saints and Sinners Club in Tampa, the hottest spot in town, played by John Travolta. Um, what, what did you think of Mr. Travolta's so? I know it's not in
1: vogue to say but i'm like a i don't know if fan might be too strong a word but i enjoy john travolta
0: mm-hmm.
1: i'm thinking specifically of something like american crime story the people versus oj simpson yeah. Remember, yeah he played robert shapiro and i think an excellent portrayal i agree hilarious mm-hmm. um so i was expecting some of that like okay you got john travolta as the bad guy john travolta is the guy who's not afraid to you know be entertaining mm-hmm. in a movie you know, it's not like this is a role that requires a lot of understatement. You know, you're playing the big bad guy in a Punisher movie. I was expecting a lot more, like, shouting, I guess, Yeah. from this. So in that sense, I was kind of disappointed. Um, so I'd say if, let's just say, like, Ideal was, like, a 10, John Travolta came in at, like, a 7 or 8 for me. He was mostly just there. I would have appreciated more a bigger performance, I think.
0: I think that's fair. There is a sequence towards the end where he gets to kind of... They just kind of hand him all the scenery he can handle. They're like, all right, chew it, chew it up, chew it up, chew it up. Um, and we, we can kind of unpack that sequence later because it's the one that really stood out to me on this movie. But I would agree with you. Yeah, he's not like... A, it was not a completely like satisfactory performance. He doesn't really have to do a lot. Like I don't think you would say that Howard Saint has a lot of like defining... Not the character per se. Like, like, the, like the comic book character, I don't really know much of if there even is a comic book Howard Saint. Um, but the, uh, in, in the film, like, I don't know that he has a lot of defining characteristics that like set him apart from any other kind of generic villain. Um, um, yeah.
1: I, I don't know if John Travolta was that invested in doing this movie. Mm -hmm. It was probably just a paycheck for him. I, um, for whatever reason, when we've been doing these movies, I've been sitting and like watching the credits play out. And, uh, this is the first time I've ever noticed where it was like catering provided by so-and-so and then it was like mr <laughs> mr travolta's catering oh wow <laughs> provided by it was like wow he got his own catering so i wonder how if this was like kind of a bruce willis situation where he was like he was able to like uh obtain a large portion of the budget just to ensure his you know presence in the film because this is definitely he is he is promoted above thomas jane like when this movie came out it's a, similar to like gene hackman as Lex Luthor or Jack Nicholson as the Joker mm-hmm. in Batman this was definitely like John Travolta was like the big name because it's like people weren't gonna go see a Thomas Jane movie you know on his name alone so I wonder how much of they had to sh- uh, they had to shell out for in order to get John Travolta in this
0: yeah I mean he, he's probably far and away like at this point in 2004 the biggest star and probably at this point in 2023 he's the biggest star in this movie as well there aren't a lot of like huge names. I mean, you have Roy Scheider who plays Frank Castle senior at the very beginning. Um, you know, you would think he's probably the, the other, like very notable actor. Um, you have Rebecca Roman who Rebecca Romaine Romaine, excuse me. Um, who, I mean, most people, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you probably recognize her as mystique from the original three X-Men movies. Well, you probably wouldn't recognize. Her. Well, yes, that, that is a very good point. Um, and, and she, she's kind of the... To the extent that there is a love interest in this movie, she's it. Um, and, and she's kind of one of one of three... Basically like societal outcasts kind of... That are neighbors with the Punisher when he comes back to Tampa after his family's killed. Um, the other two being John Pinette who plays a character named Bumpo. And then Ben Foster, who plays a guy named Spacker Dave. Ben Foster... Who's kind of popped up in a lot of stuff recently. Uh, Heller High Water is the one that stands out for me. Um, and he also played actually uh, the Angel in X-Men the last stand as well. Um, what, what did you think of, of that that trio of, of characters? Uh,
1: I thought they were good. I kind of liked that there wasn't a uh, Rebecca Romain didn't become like a full-on love interest. Mm-hmm. and this is this is like part of the adaptation of like the Welcome Back, Frank. Yeah. The storyline is that he becomes involved with like the people in the building that he happens to live with and they, you know, pay the price. Um yeah, I thought they were all good. I was surprised to see John Panette, cuz I thought he was dead <laughs> by this point. But um I guess he was still alive. Um
0: He 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 didn't he he died in 2014, so he had he oh. he had a, a good decade left in him.
1: But it was definitely like a I was because when I think of John Panetti, he's like a very big, gregarious guy. And he was very, like, sullen in this movie. So I was surprised when I found out it was him. Um, yeah, and Ben Foster's a good actor. Um, so it was good. I would really say um, that it's really uh, Thomas Jane's and John Travolta's movie. And everyone else is just kind of there.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, the only other people i just point out is um, we have Laura Herring plays Livia, who is... Uh, Howard Saint's wife and she's very important to the story Laura Herring probably most people recognize her I would say from Mulholland Drive um, you know she's fine she does what she has to do uh, Eddie Jemison plays uh, Mickey Duca who kind of becomes like the Punisher's mole inside of Howard Saint's organization I thought he, he was pretty entertaining you know, he, he doesn't get like a ton of screen time but but I enjoyed kind of like the twitchy energy he brought
1: yeah character um, actor
0: yeah yeah um and i was wondering like where, where have i seen this guy before it's it's oceans 11 it's actually all the oceans well, movies he's in
1: steven soderbergh movies
0: yeah yeah um and then uh we have will Patton as quentin glass who again i don't think uh, is is like notable outside of he's just like a an important character in, in the movie kind of like howard saint's right hand man um Alright, so, yeah, we, we mentioned already that this movie, like, opens up with uh, this big, um... Drug bust. Drug bust, where where uh, Frank Castle is, is you know pretending to be this arms dealer, and we, we have uh, Mickey Duca, who is Eddie Jemison's character, pop up with uh, the son of Howard Saint, or one of the sons of Howard Saint, Bobby Saint, um played by James Carpinello in a dual role. He plays both Bobby and his brother, John. Does uh, a
1: full Franco.
0: Yes, he does. And a fake mustache and everything. Um, they, they weren't expecting him to get there, so the bus kind of goes wrong. Like, they fake uh, Frank Castle's death, and then they actually kill the Saint kid. And so, basically, Howard Saint finds out about this. They find out about Frank Castle, who it turns out is retiring from the FBI and moving to London for some reason. Um, but before he's going to do that, he, he he goes to his family reunion in Puerto Rico. Um, and the Saints decide, we're going to kill literally every member of his family, not just his wife and kid, literally every member. And they go down to Puerto Rico and they do that. What did you think of... So this is like really the first big action sequence of this movie is like, the massacre in Puerto Rico, and then also Frank trying to fight back against it. What do you think of that that whole bit?
1: It just made me think I wish this movie was, like, more directed in a more visually interesting way. Because, mm-hmm. like, when I was watching the action scene, the, the, the movie I was thinking of the most was The Birds 2, which was, like, <laughs> a made-for-TV sequel to Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. Because, like, this director... Uh, Jonathan Hens- Hensley, I Hensley. believe, is his name. I think Hensley. Pronounced. Yeah. Um, he he was primarily a screenwriter. Wrote one of my favorites, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like one of his first directorial movies. And obviously, we mentioned the budget was really low. Um, but uh, that this, there was no absolutely no style to the movie at all. I would say it was very conventional. So I think it was like. You know, I'm certainly not going to say this was, like, badly directed, where it was like, oh, you could see the boom mic, or, you know, this 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 was a dummy that was being shot, or, you know, I didn't really believe that Roy Scheider <laughs> got <laughs> shot in the back. It was all fine, but I was just thinking, like, imagine if Breaking Bad was directed this way. Right. How absolutely boring would Breaking Bad be if it
0: was directed this way? <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, it, the, 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 the word that comes to mind is, like, tacky, in a way. Or it does, in some ways, feel like a made-for-TV movie. And I think setting this scene in Puerto Rico kind of just enhances that. Because everyone's in, like, a Hawaiian shirt. And there's, like, all these kind of, like, islandy decorations all over the place. And it just, like, also just gets to be kind of over the top. Where you have, like, the hitmen, like, literally shooting people off of, like, sailboats um and it, yeah that was weird when they like shot
1: the one guy who's like on the catamaran yeah. it's like did he not was he still enjoying himself on the catamaran did he not see everyone else getting shot on the beach
0: yeah <laughs> yeah Did he not hear that? we'll go on the
1: the the being set in uh florida primarily made me thought think a lot about um dexter hmm. the tv show dexter because this really felt like this was this felt to me like a two hour pilot for the Punisher show yeah. on Showtime. This this had that like level of quality
0: to yeah. it. I thought you were going to say Burn Notice for a second. Another uh, Florida based TV show that actually kind of reminded me of as well. I feel like
1: Burn Notice. I haven't watched Burn Notice, but I feel like there's more swagger about it than this had.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There there is, and I would say um a, 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 probably some more style i wish
1: bruce campbell was in this yes
0: yes absolutely he he would have he would have elevated it for sure um so yeah we we get this this whole this whole sequence um
1: and it definitely it it changes the character's origin because it's usually just like his wife and two kids i believe that are in the middle of a shootout between two gangs in central park and this turns into like a giant family reunion
0: (laughs) right right
1: um Which the, like, the Roy Scheider points out, it's, like, the first time they've all been together (laughs) in a while. And it's like, what?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, It also, like, and the thing that also kind of makes it, like, I found a little disappointing in a way is that, like, also in the comics, it's, like, one of the reasons, like, he becomes, like, this vigilante is not just because his wife and kid died, but because also, like, there's, like, a failure of the authorities to, like, prosecute because of, like, internal corruption and so he decides, you know, the law is inadequate and he decides to take the law into his own hands. Whereas in this, it just, there's no such, like, betrayal, right?
1: Yeah, they they kind of set it up, but there's no real um, follow-through on it.
0: Yeah, we get, like, the, like, the closest thing we get is that there, one... There's a scene when he's
1: outside of the courtroom. <laughs> yes. And yes. he's like, it's been five months and no one's been arrested for my entire family being killed. And the guy's like... Now obviously you're upset. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and he goes, upset. He, I forget exactly, like, oh, I I I know what you're gonna bring up. The, well, bring up the, the Yankees. Yeah, league. yeah. And he's he's like, I used to get upset when I stubbed my toe or something like that, but he ends up with like, I used to get upset when the Yankees won the series <laughs> And it's like, I wonder what baseball team he was a fan of. Like is he like a Red Sox fan? Like hey or is he just like one of the first Tampa Bay Devil Rays fans who were founded only uh six years, you know before this movie came out and are now divisional rivals of the Yankees. I, I don't know, but, um, that was a very yeah. odd, uh, this, odd this
1: dialogue is playing to the cheap seats. Yes. Yes. Um, but, uh, I, I found out apparently that there was a whole subplot mm-hmm. related to this that was cut and is in like the extended version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Cause like, remember he has that partner at the beginning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out he would have been working for Mr. Howard Saint, ah. and he would have had to take care of him. So that that reinforces that the law is sort of inadequate an, an and vulnerable to corruption. But that is that is just gone yeah. from this movie.
0: Well, apparently, like, um, the Jonathan Hensley, the director, was like, yeah, if I wanted to, like, make the movie I wanted to make, it would have been, like, four and a half hours long. Like, they had a... <laughs> A lot more like planned. Like, apparently, there were going to be scenes like during, like, he, he was supposed to be like a Gulf War veteran, and there were going to be scenes like in Kuwait at the very beginning. And apparently, on the DVD, there's some special features, like, and there's like a stop motion, um, like sequence in Kuwait. And I don't know if it's stop motion, like, that was it was always meant to be that way, or if it was just like they just kind of modeled it out before they actually were going to make the movie, but, um, yeah, it seems like the, their ambitions were kind of larger than than their budget allowed. Um, th- there is, like, a pretty—while we're still in, like, his origins, there is a pretty, like, a little self-aggrandizing quote from Jonathan Hensley that, you know, he, he said in an interview, and, and it's, like, actually, like, has its own box on, on Wikipedia, which he says, I had to ask myself intellectual—excuse ex- me. I had to ask myself intellectual questions, like, to what extent do crimes against a person become so unconscionable? so heinous that even a person who does not believe in vigilantism can resort to vigilantism in a more just way. That was the equation for me. I told Marvel that I didn't just want to do a revenge story, that I wanted to do the mother of all revenge stories. I wanted to ramp everything up. I can't really go further without doing spoilers here. The underlying events that give rise to Frank Castle's vigilantism are not from the comic. I invented a lot of that. I made it worse. And it's like well you made it worse i guess in scale but also i think in quality too like i don't like um i I guess
1: yeah Yeah. i don't know shouldn't plan on making a four and a half hour movie yeah yeah um your movie like citizen kane is 119 (laughs) minutes. right you're there's no reason to make a four hour long movie yeah yeah anyway um he's just pitting all the blame on kevin feige
0: well, this was, this was pre-Feige, I think. It would have been like... No, all... no, no. He's
1: in the credits. This oh, is when okay. he was
0: like an assistant to Avi Arad. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, He's it... been around,
1: Mike. He didn't just like <laughs> emerge fully formed be like, we will make Iron Man. It will be good movie. He he had to learn. All un-
0: right? Un- underneath the genius of Avi Arad. Um, the that brilliant
1: genius. <laughs> didn't you watch the credits of Spider-Man No Way Home? <laughs> dedicated to the brilliant genius of Avi Arad.
0: that's true um uh, what were they we going here so yeah anyway he get he gets back to tampa um he he kind of arms up we, we have this sequence of him setting up his base i thought that was pretty cool um and the first real big like punisher scene is that he gets a hold of mickey duca the eddie jemison character he has him chained up in his his little apartment, and he threatens him with this blowtorch, and he's like, and he's he's talking about what the blowtorch will do to his flesh, like yeah. he'll he'll be numb at first and, and all it's this.
1: Kind of presented in kind of like a saw esque fashion. <laughs> it is, like, yeah. Chained up with duct tape, upside down, completely naked.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but it turns out he's just using a blowtorch to to sear a steak, and he's actually poking Mickey with a popsicle. popsicle but, of course, Picky thinks it's actually the torch, and he freaks out. And This, t- this to me, was kind of... like I don't know. What would you think of that scene? Because, to me, it was like the... I just think it kind of highlighted the awkwardness of the movie in general. Oh, right. I like that part. You did?
1: Yeah. I was worried it was just going to be like... They would show, like, gore. Yeah. <laughs> but it was actually mildly clever. And it, it wasn't... Because it would have been a little bit cheesy, I guess, for the movie to go from... You know, he's the happy-go-lucky guy mm-hmm. at the beginning, just straight up to, like, <laughs> burn <laughs> his skin off, melt him. And then it's like there's nowhere for the character to go after that. So I, I liked it. It was it was funny.
0: Yeah, I, I guess so. It, it definitely was funny. Um, but, I don't know, it still did kind of, like, highlight to me, like, the, the, some of the tonal issues with this movie. Um, but, uh, anyway, he, he basically recruits Mickey because I, I couldn't tell. Was Mickey, like the whole thing is that the saints are holding him in contempt because he's kind of responsible for the death of their son. But was he, and then it shows him doing all these like jobs for them, like including being like a, like a valet at their club. Was he like always a valet for them or do they like press him into service as punishment? Like I couldn't tell.
1: Um, He's like Chris on the Sopranos. He just does whatever Mm -hmm. needs to be done. Like Chris was, would drive around Tony He'd work at the stockbroker place, you know, he'd make collections. You know, just a mob guy. I mean, I don't know how it works. You know how it works. I don't know how it works.
0: That's true. I am Italian. When you said Chris, I thought of our friend Chris, and I was like, I didn't realize he did this. <laughs> I'm not a monster. <laughs> um uh, so yeah, anyway. Uh, I do want to mention
1: that at the beginning, we get a scene of Howard Saint shooting and killing one of his men. Yes. Clearly establishing he's a bad guy, which I remembered when we talked about Daredevil. Mm -hmm. That was kind of something that was missing with the Kingpin.
0: Right, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, He doesn't feel like a bad guy. (laughs) No, he's just kind of a guy who, uh, who, who barks out orders. Yeah, that was a good point. Um, also unclear what, oh, cause yeah, the guy was like in charge of looking after his son, that's why. And you think he's going to kill Mickey, but he, he kills himself Yeah, what's well, the,
1: the Blofeld ploy that's been in so many movies yeah. since James Bond?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I will shoot and kill my own men.
1: Mm-hmm. That usually happens when it's like there's someone that's a turncoat inside the organization. Yeah. But everyone all, everyone works for Howard Saint, so he just is like, instead of killing you, I will kill you.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly teach you a lesson by killing someone else and make you afraid um so the punisher does all this sort of like research and advance work learning about the same operation i will say the one thing i learned from this movie that i did not know uh beforehand was for whatever reason i always thought the cayman islands were in like the pacific but it turns out they're in the caribbean and the Saints, it turns out Howard Saint is just kind of like a money launderer. And there are these two, like, Cuban brothers, the Toro brothers, um, Spanish for bull, you know. And uh, they, uh, they're they like, uh, kind of like pimps and, 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 and kind of like they, they run gambling rings. And they launder their money through Saint, who then sends it to, to Grand Cayman on these little cigarette boats. And so Frank gets Howard Saint's attention by... Um, breaking into his building and, and, and forcing these guys to to throw the money out into the streets and all these like seemingly like, well-dressed seemingly like professional people are like clamoring over each other to get this money that's falling out of the window
1: yeah no it's funny
0: yeah um, again
1: it's like it's like he has the window shot out and he's like now drop it and he's like you think he's gonna make them march out to mm-hmm. um slam their bodies to the ground yeah more
0: gore mm-hmm. but no,
1: no. It, uh, the, he throws money out the window
0: yeah so this gets howard saint's attention and he decides he's, he's going to hire an assassin and the first assassin is a guy named harry heck and when harry heck free, and they say he's specifically from memphis and uh he first shows up at uh the restaurant that joan the rebecca romaine character works at where the punisher just kind of sits in a corner and and drinks and eats by himself and harry heck shows up takes out a guitar sings him a song and it's like i'm gonna come for you and then he uh he comes for him.
1: yeah uh, that that scene actually got my attention yeah when harry heck shows up
0: i and it felt like when you mentioned like there are parts that felt like the pilot for like a punisher show on showtime like this felt like it could have been kind of like a three episode arc on a Punisher show or like, like Harry Heck chasing after him. Like it felt like it was such a kind of like, even though know, he's like, he's just kind of looks like Johnny Cash basically. And it turns out that the guy who plays Harry Heck actually played Johnny Cash on like a TV movie once. Um, but, uh, it he, he seemed like too colorful a character to like die as quickly as he dies in this movie. Yeah. You could have cut out both of
1: the scenes he's in yeah, yeah. <laughs> the movie would have been unimpacted in any way
0: yeah we, we get the scene where he, he chases frank down as he's about to go over a drawbridge so of course frank does the whole jumping the drawbridge thing um i did like how he got to see kind of like the the like steel windows of the car get deployed as he tries to shoot at him and i thought the whole the whole bit with like the the, the ballistic knife was, was kind of fun too where he literally it, brings a knife to a gunfight but then he shoots the blade and, and kills him it was fun and quick yes um, so we get that, he, the Poncher kind of becomes more friendly with, with the, the group, the, the kind of trio who are his neighbors. Um, he, he breaks bread with them. Uh, you know, they, they say what they're thankful for because Rebecca Romaine wants them to, um, we find out they're kind of, you know, troubled people. She tries to, to kiss him and he's like, I'm not what you're looking for, which I, I did think was kind of a, an interesting I don't know if subversion's the right word, but, like, an interesting, like, stopping short of, like, I think... You know, we were talking about, it, when Superman Returns, how, like, the romance plot has kind of gone from a lot of superhero movies. And I thought this was an interesting way to both kind of introduce that element, but then also be like, no, it doesn't really work for this character. And then finding a way to get to, to kind of just yeah. stop short of it. But acknowledging that there would still be a tension there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You're right. Yeah.
0: There's There's kind of, like, a similar situation in a netflix show but with micro's wife so it's extra awkward um but it's also like one of the episodes that made me think it was a very good show anyway uh and then the russian shows up played by wwe legend kevin nash um what did you think of the russian Lewis? well would you believe the russian is a character from the comics <laughs> i well yes that that i did know
1: <laughs> it it was just, uh, it was funny, because he, like, shows up, and he's wearing, like, a pristine red and white striped shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, like, oh, this is definitely the character from the comics. hmm And this is when the film, like, went up a notch for me. Because mm-hmm. it sort of went from just, like, kind of boring realism to, like, all right, we're going to heighten the comic bookiness of this a bit. So I, I really like that part, that part of the movie when the Russians show up I And mean, they just, like, destroy yeah. <laughs> Frank's apartment.
0: Yeah and and it's all what what I did enjoy about that scene is that you know we get this this scene early on where Frank is kind of like building all these defensive um you know mechanisms into his his apartment he's got kind of like I think like a mine on a door he's got this like desk where he hits it and a gun pops out and the Russian basically neutralizes all these like like these mechanisms basically right like none of them work on him mm-hmm. like he takes out the gun he just he, he just twists the gun um he's able to kind of get rid of the the grenade or whatever it was uh, i enjoyed the way that like you know like the punisher's like competence or perceived competence is kind of like the russian is actually like a very good foil for him and effective but you're right yeah it is like the most blatantly comic booky part which is uh still fine it's, it's a good fight and like you could tell too it was like the director's like right this is where i'm gonna like cook because it's it's set to the that like opera song while uh,
1: O-D-D-Mobile yeah
0: yeah while uh, and there's a whole thing where it's like they're fighting and they're like in the window that could be seen from the neighbor's apartment but then when the neighbor looks back back, they're they're gone it's very effective Hitchcock yes yeah yeah real real, real rear window influence in this movie
1: the kind of scene that makes you want to put on your beret yes (laughs) analyze soak in the um, yes mise-en-scene
0: Rebecca Romaine, the early 2000s Grace Kelly, disgust. Um, so we get all that, and then uh, that, that really leaves Frank kind of bruised and battered. Um, and uh, Yeah, then the, the movie like kind
1: of does a whiplash in terms of tone.
0: Yes, yes, because uh, after that um, Saints Men, led by Quentin Glass, show up. Uh, they hide frank and rebecca remain hide in like an elevator shaft basically and uh bumpo and spacker dave are just sitting there and spacker dave's got like all these piercings he's got like three piercings in his lip he's got one in his eyebrow he's got a bunch in his ears of course and yeah there's the whole scene where we're quitting glass is trying to make him talk he's like you and me are going to like explore the nature of pain and just starts pulling these piercings out of Dave's face, and it's a very yeah. you know it 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 gets more like saw like at this point again, but they don't show anything. No, they don't. They show like even like the aftermath. It's like he's got a lot of blood on his face, but there's no like visible holes. Um, but but you you do I'm still get. Si- what were you gonna say?
1: I was just I'm, I'm I'm surprised Bumpo was just like able to just sit there. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Well, he got I mean... the
1: easy end of the deal.
0: Yeah. And he's, he's so calm during it too. It's like, like the one thing is like, well, Ben Foster, like, to me, it's like, he does like a really good job, like reacting in that scene or he's like clearly like in pain and kind of like, you know, he's, he's very distressed. Um, but my whole thing is like, why, why not just lie? Like, why not just say, oh yeah, he left. You know what I mean? Cause they probably
1: wouldn't believe him.
0: I, I guess, know. but you should at least try. I don't know. Um, but you know, kudos to them to to to, to not talking, not snitching, um, because then the scene wouldn't happen. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Um, this this is like the best part of the movie for me. That these two scenes kind of back to back. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, well, I would say like everything. You're you're right when it k- kind of kicks into high gear when the Russian shows up because then like we, we get some real Punisher action. Yeah, uh, we get. Uh, there's apparently an old like paper slicer in in his apartment, so he takes he just takes the the slicer part of it and just whacks into some dude's head who's like guarding the apartment waiting for Frank Castle to come out. That was pretty cool.
1: And then he he there's he fights with the guy who like killed his dad, who kind of reminded me of Dolph Lundgren a bit. And uh, I saw online people were making fun of this when he like he like. Like man just like kind of hold his arm back and then like stabs his hand into like the back of his hip. Yes, and yes. The guy's making noise like, oh, yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah,
0: it's a very weird noise that that guy makes. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that. Um, I, I I didn't I didn't put it together. That's the, the same guy who kills his dad. Um, you got to watch this movie with your eyeballs glued I, to the screen. I really do. There, there's a lot of subtext. Oh, we
1: didn't talk screen. about. Oh, we didn't talk about how at the beginning, the son, his son, he has a son in this movie. Who's living
0: in the doghouse yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, there's that. But this is something I did not imagine in this movie. It was definitely like, we want to turn this gritty character and make it more like a Spider-Man 2002 level movie. It's like mm-hmm. the son buys Frank Castle oh, with right. the T-shirt yeah. with the Punisher skull on it. Yes, his yes. dad's like, wow, thank you, son. Yeah. I love it i did not see that coming
0: (laughs) yes yes um they're like uh in puerto rico and the son's like we bought the scary shirt like they said it scares away evil spirits and it's the it's the skull shirt um i did forget about that also just like (laughs) um the way his wife and son die where they get run over by a car instead of getting shot it's like at least it's implied they get run over by a car to uh, me, I
1: took it as kind of an homage to the original Mad Max. Hmm. When uh, Max's wife gets killed, Did
0: she get run over by a car.
1: She gets run over by the. It's not the toe cutter. Um, or maybe it is the toe cutter. But she gets run over like that, and it's. I think it's presented like the same way where they don't like. They cut away and then come back, and she's just like lying down on the ground.
0: Yeah. Well, Jonathan Hensley actually did like specifically say that the original Mad Max was an inspiration on this movie. Um, some other movies he said were an inspiration on this movie: the Dirty Harry series, which makes sense; um, the Getaway, which is a movie I've never heard of; um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And there is kind of like a like a gunfight scene towards the end, which we'll talk about. Uh, the Godfather, which I guess makes sense because the whole mob thing. Never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay uh bonnie and clyde which i guess is just kind of super violent although i don't really see that and uh shakespeare's othello is the other movie that hensley says that he or not movie. definitely becomes like othello at the yes end. yes um <laughs> should, should, should we talk about that now then
1: um we don't have all the time in the world so let's get to we that.
0: don't so the whole whole uh frank castles so uh, you know he's a very blunt man. You know, he kills a lot of his people head on, but he decides he wants to do something special for Howard Saint. And, uh, what he does is basically this elaborate ruse where he tries to make it look like Quentin Howard's right-hand man is cheating on his wife.
1: And well, not Howard. Um, his assistant's name is,
0: uh, Quentin. Quentin. Yeah. He's Howard's right-hand man is what I said. Did I i think you
1: said it right hand man howard
0: oh okay anyway um and so i actually got very confused originally because like i didn't understand what he said when he because he first calls up quentin a little like a voice like modulator like Mm -hmm. saying like oh like basically trying to blackmail him saying he has pictures of him that his boss will not want him to see and i didn't We'll get into this later, but basically, it's a very simple plot. <laughs> you no, know, it's very simple, but it's presented in a confusing way. Or at least I thought it was confusing. But basically, you know, he, he. Point is, he basically makes it to look like that Howard's wife has been at the same hotel as Quentin at the same time, and also that was at his apartment. She just he just like takes her earrings and puts them in Quentin's bedroom, um, and that and and Mickey is of course there to kind of grease grease the wheels as well and I, I did love the scene where um because yeah, it's we, like
1: we left out that Quentin is gay
0: well but so I yes we did but do we know that at this point because yes
1: when he makes the phone call he's already seen him kissing the guy and taking the pictures
0: but I <clears throat> so this is where I got confused because I remember the scene of him where he takes the picture of him kissing the guy i didn't realize they were kissing i thought he was like shaking him down like do they actually kiss in that scene
1: yes Yes. it was funny too because i like i saw them and i was like are these guys gonna kiss
0: (laughs) and then they end up zoo so i i didn't i did not i did not notice that like i did not understand that at all yeah so the whole blackmail thing didn't make sense to me i thought he somehow got pictures of him and and olivia it made zero sense to this, me this this film was a watershed moment in gay representation <laughs> yeah
1: but this, <laughs> this film needs reappraisal like the Duke. we need the um punisher rainbow skull yes right book of this movie
0: yes we definitely do um but so what happens is is howard st buys all of this he goes to confront quentin at his house um he has this whole monologue about uh, Jim Bowie, where he's pushing the furniture out of the way. And he's like, uh, whenever Jim Bowie was accused of of cheating at cards, he, he, he'd take the accuser into the back room, push out the furniture, throw his, his knife in the ground and say, whoever leaves is telling the truth. And he goes, your problem is you have too much furniture, which I did actually think was quite funny. Um
1: What I found even funnier was Quentin is just confused the entire time. Yes,
0: yes, (laughs) exactly. To the point where Howard starts stabbing him. And Quentin's just like, why are you... Like, he literally says, why are you killing me? (laughs) 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 But then he's also kind of like, you're killing me. Like, you're killing me, man. Like, it it was just very... He died, yes. He died a very confused man. Um, And then... Like, you know, his his goons bring Livia there, and she kind of, like, sees no, what? He brings Quentin to their house in, like, a rolled up carpet. That's right. Yes, I forgot about that. Uh, For Livia to see, and he's like,
1: you've been sleeping with Quentin. And she's yeah. like, but Quentin's
0: gay. So she says that, and I, like, I laughed out loud, because I did not realize he was gay up until that point. So I thought this was the first time they were introducing that information. I was like, whoa, like, this is a big, like, It is really, like, kind of buried there. Like, I, this is, like, a real kind of, like, almost like a duo's ex I, Like, why would
1: Gwen care the whole movie if he if he wasn't gay?
0: The, well, that's the thing is, like, I, that, like I said, that part made very little sense to me. I understand what was going on with the fake fire hydrant next to the, the car. Um, <laughs> like, I, like, I, I was real, like, I got that he was trying to make it look like they, they were cheating on howard but like the the picture part just made zero sense to me and like like i said because i i see them kiss i thought he was just like beating him up um i was so confused um but so anyway (laughs) the the way she
1: says but he's gay
0: (laughs) like it's it's, funny like they should have just played like a like a lightning strike after it like the way like it's almost like dun 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 that's how it felt to me because i had no idea um
1: but John Travolta's not convinced. He's like, you'll say anything. <laughs> yeah,
0: so he tried. They, they they get in his limo. She knows something bad's gonna happen. They drive through Little Cuba. And he goes, Little Cuba, where I first met you. It's like, of course the neighborhood used to be more colorful back then. But you'll fit in now. Because it's the place for whores. Which is just another incredible line reading from John Travolta. And then uh, he brings her to a bridge and he throws her off a bridge. Uh, uh,
1: not, uh, just a short drop. kind Yes. 20 like foot drop.
0: Well, that's the thing. I, I just assumed he was going to kill her by throwing her off the bridge, but no. He throws her onto train tracks right as a train was coming. And, uh, she gets, she gets squished.
1: We get two stock female scream sound effects. Yes.
0: Yes. Um, so all that happens. Uh, which leads to, uh, Howard having a little get together at his club where he all, all all of all of his hitmen it seems are there to meet with him and he's there to just tell them that they're going to get they already get 50,000 each but whoever kills Frank Castle will get 50,000 more and like he, he makes this announcement and then they just kind of like just kind of like hanging out having a good time uh, his son shows up and asks where his mother is, and he's. <laughs> Howard says she had to catch a train. Like, I guess <laughs> I guess she did. Um, but uh, Frank tracks him down to this club. He gets in. He, he takes out the two guys at the, the bottom floor. They call up for champagne, and boy does he send him some champagne. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he he sends like the bucket of champagne up on a dumb waiter. And they pick it up, and it's connected to a mine, and then it blows up the room. Um, he goes up there. He kicks a lot of ass. He stabs a guy through the bottom of the mouth. Um, shoots a bunch of other people. He does. I d- I did love the whole like the the thing with his son, who's like pinned against a wall. And uh, yeah,
1: he's got one arm under like a column that fell over. Yeah, and his and- other arm's free, trying to grab the gun, and then Frank puts like a mine ties mm-hmm. it to like a very thin string it's like if you lose your grip then this is going to blow up yep it's a hell, hell of a workout
0: yeah yeah he's like you look like you work out um so then he comes downstairs he confronts howard they have this kind of you know it's really
1: the only scene they have together in the it movie.
0: is <laughs> howard goes you killed my son then you hear an explosion in the background and he goes yeah both of them uh <laughs> They have a little standoff. He shoots him. Then he he shows proof of Livia and Quentin. Yeah, I, sense.
1: here are the photographs I took showing him kissing another man. Yeah, well, like,
0: again, it's like I understand that's what he was showing him at that point, but I did not realize that that's the picture he first. Like, here's I, here's
1: the other earring. Yeah, and so he realizes that John Travolta like screwed up his own life. Yeah, because he was stupid. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. And then he changed him to the back of a car. Also covers him in gasoline before that. And then uh, we just get the scene of the car driving through the parking lot with John Travolta being dragged in the back of it, you know, screaming and moaning and all of that. Then all these cars blow up. I'm like, why is he blowing up all these other random cars? And it's because you get a shot of the parking lot and it makes the Punisher skull with the fire. Uh, Mm -hmm. Just like their Daredevil logo. A very convincing effect. Yes, yes. That holds up to this day. Yeah, it's okay. Then he, the
1: Punisher, leaves. Yep. Leaving behind lots of money for his three yes. companions. Yes. And he uh, drives to, I think that's a San Francisco bridge.
0: No, no. Well, first he he sits in in his apartment and he almost kills himself. He holds a gun up to his head because he's like, I guess he's like, my job here.
1: Almost killing yourself.
0: I mean, he comes very close to killing himself. Okay. Um, he literally has his finger on the trigger, but then he sees a vision of his wife and for, that convinces him not to do it. Um, and then he goes to, it's actually the Sunshine Skyway Bridge, which is probably the only Tampa landmark I can think of. That's not like Tropicana Field, which is technically... Yeah, in I could tell Petersburg.
1: it was some, not a
0: New York bridge, it was swaying. Yeah. In the wind. Um, and he has this whole voiceover about how he's the Punisher now. Um, well, I, I did... In the voiceover, he's like, <laughs> he's like, the killers, the rapists. It's like, okay, that makes sense. Then he goes, the psychos. I'm like, well, that's like a, I mean, like, I get what you're saying, but that's just, it feels a little unprofessional to say that. Um, but yeah, he's no longer Frank Call him the Punisher. And then uh, roll credits.
1: Yep. The only real rock song, I think, in the movie. <laughs>
0: yeah, credits. is at that, is that, is that the very end. Um, the only one that where any attention is brought to it, at least. Um, so, overall, what, how, how do you feel about this movie, Lewis?
1: Uh, I guess I liked it better than I thought. I gave mm-hmm. it, like, a 7 out of 10. Um, definitely not one for the ages, I would say. It was... I I appreciated, like, its restraint in not being, like, a 2004-ish movie, but at the same time, it was very kind of generic. And there were a couple, like, pulpy moments thrown in there. But this is definitely not, like, the definitive Punisher movie
0: for the ages. It isn't. No, again, it's, like, I, I would not call this a good movie. But, and it's maybe not as watchable as something like The Spirit, even. Which I feel like is kind of, like, so bonkers from, like, the jump that, you know, I feel like you kind of have to watch it. Um, but I think there's, like, enough good action sequences and enough kind of like honestly it's like some canopy moments that i think it's it's a, it's a pretty watchable movie um maybe you fast forward through the first 20 minutes or so but i think it's it's worth watching it, again it's not you might not ever want to watch it like again but it's not it's not like a slog to sit through i would say
1: there is a legacy to this movie
0: though there is yes there there was supposed to be a punisher too but there wasn't um, there was the Punisher, Punisher Warzone, excuse me, made with Ray Stevenson four years later in 2008, but Thomas Jane was very popular, uh, and they made, well, you, you can talk about,
1: yeah, Thomas Jane was, uh, became a fan of the Punisher mm-hmm. by doing this movie. And, uh, I guess around 2012, he, he'd agreed to be part of like a, a fan film that, um, is sort of like a little 10 11 minute short film where he kind of reprises his role as the punisher not that they call him the punisher or frank castle in any way uh but i i had heard about this i just looked it looked it up and um apparently yeah they made this film you know almost eight eight years later um with thomas jane as the punisher and so you know mike and i watched it and mike what did you think of it
0: Uh, I thought it was fine. I mean, like, very clearly, you know, a lower-budget kind of fan-made thing. Um, it's... I was a little confused as to kind of, like, where he was in his Punisher journey. Because it... it, You could read this, I feel like, as an origin. Because he kind of... You know, he just kind of wakes up in a van in New York. And then there's this, like, gang that's kind of shaking people down. and, And beating this kid up. And he has this talk with Ron Perlman, who was also in the short film about, you know, action and inaction and all of this, and then he decides to act. Um, so that was a little confusing, but, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I think the ending was pretty strong.
1: Um, it was more so what I expected the Punisher 2004 film to be. Yeah. It's a yeah. very gritty movie with lots mm-hmm. of violence, because this movie really, like, the, the short film is very cathartic with the, the violence yes. and the action at the end. I thought, oh,
0: this is... This is enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, he basically beats a bunch of people up with a Jack Daniels bottle. Um, and then there, there's a guy who gets... And it's very similar
1: to Howard Saint's fate, because he pours the lead guy with gasoline. Yes,
0: yes. And then uh, a woman who... It's implied that this guy rapes. Uh, well, it shows him what. raping. Well, yeah. It, yes, it does. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, like my one takeaway was, like I feel like he lets a lot of bad things happen before he acts. Um but well, how can he it. punish people if they don't do anything bad? I guess that's a yeah he has to <laughs> this is a minority report. <laughs> he has to see them commit a crime before he can actually act. Um, I did like the end where where he kind of like uh you know, he, he does his laundry and this kid comes out and he's like, Mr, you forgot your shirt and he's like, ah, you can keep it. it's got a hole in it anyway and it's the Punisher shirt. I thought that was kind of fun um so yeah, I mean it's it's 10 minutes of your time. I, I would suggest you go out and watch that too.
1: Is it better than the two thousand and four film?
0: Um
1: is it better? I mean it's I do does the Punisher really need a movie where it's like we watch the origin for like the first third of it? Can't I, the Punisher just exist?
0: I, I was gonna say, yeah. I feel like this does more of what I would want a Punisher movie to do than the two thousand and four movie does. So yes, I guess so. I agree um and yeah we don't i I agree that we don't really need a long drowned out origin we don't need to see we don't need to see him literally draw out his family tree only for it to get destroyed um it is a bit much um i just want to see the punisher fight galactus just get right to that part (laughs) that would be a lot of fun or the punisher in the war machine armor he did that in the comics um punisher
1: fighting batman
0: yeah yeah that that was like i was i had a uh like a trade paperback of it just collected a bunch of like marvel dc crossovers and punisher crosses over twice with batman but the first time he crosses over with them it's with the uh the jean-marc valet batman not bruce wayne <laughs> so that would like, be intense yeah yeah um, it is intense uh and then he he sees bruce wayne in 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 the second story um anyway uh anything else to add about about the punisher lewis no i don't think i have anything else to add okay um well as we said uh worth watching i think
1: um i'd give it like a thumbs in the middle
0: yeah i think i think thumbs in the middle is good i think it's a we are yeah it's watchable um not gonna surprise you in early in a lot of it's, ways it's not
1: like it's not a hidden gem and it's not like a so bad it's good
0: yeah kind of movie. Yeah. um if you just kind of want to watch the highlights i think that would be totally okay um but yeah um, i would have expected it to be much worse considering
1: like the critics score and the right. Rotten Tomatoes score but it's it's fine
0: it's on peacock too so it's easy to access yeah that's that's uh, how i watched it yeah me too I, I didn't even realize that it was on that server. when are we gonna
1: get the super fan cut of this movie
0: <laughs> super fan. i someday it'll happen um i have faith but until we do you can settle for the post writers content instead which includes this podcast fortress of salt uh, not fortress of solitude excuse me fortress of ineptitude which is of course part of the pony express you can find the pony express anywhere you can find podcasts please like rate and subscribe and contact us co- as contact us at contact of the tell us what your favorite punisher story is who your favorite on-screen punisher is um all of that good stuff uh we also have another podcast lewis
1: oh yeah the uh, visitors might be listening who's currently producing new episodes right now we're covering
0: the planet of the Apes series Ooh. yes it's all very exciting um you can find uh my work uh on the post as i just said on the writing as well and you can find me on twitter at mlovito and letterbox at amerimike how do you spell the writing the writing as in the direction r-i-g-h-t-i-n-g is a website where i report on right-wing media it is not itself right-wing media very important to make that distinction um has there been anything going on with the right wing like these last 10 years uh there's been some stuff. I mean, you know, they're, they're still around. They've always been around. Um, always had some interesting ideas. Um, there's really been no kind of like really central significant figure, though. You know, no one who's really kind of transformed the face of, of, of right-wing politics in America, though. So it's been a little boring, but, you know, it, it's, it's still important to, to write about. Uh, where, where can people find you, Lewis? Yeah, I contribute stuff to the post as well.
1: Uh, I'm also on Twitter at the Lewis Ryan. I review movies on Letterboxd as well, um, at the Lewis Ryan. So like my first and last name and the letters T H uh, E at the beginning, like the Punisher.
0: How do you spell Ryan though? Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we will see you next time on Fortress of Ineptitude. Until then, be good.